Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, from EMF meters, human pendulums, thermal imaging cameras, and spirit walkthroughs, the ABCs of a paranormal investigation. This lady began kind of moving really violently and then eventually she just started sobbing and that sobbing turned into full-on crying wailing she was unconsolable we couldn't do anything with her so uh, we asked her what her name was and she didn't know she couldn't tell us tell us her name we asked her who she'd come with and she'd come with her two daughters and they were with us trying to calm her down and she told us that she'd come with her husband so we asked how did you get here and she said by horse I want to tell you about something I discovered recently called carbon-60. I call it the miracle molecule. Now, you might remember an interview I did recently with a researcher, Chris Burris, who's looking to help people who experience pain, inflammation, loss of sleep, or lost mental acuity with his new C60 company, C60Evo.com. He has a product which is a consumable form of carbon-60 called ESS-60 that's been proven in peer-reviewed, published research to extend the lifespan of test rats by 90% while allowing them to live tumor-free. That's pretty amazing. Those rats were given the C60evo.com formula. The formula is a powerful antioxidant, 172 times more powerful than vitamin C, and it's known to be a powerful anti-inflammatory. C60 is based on Nobel Prize winning chemistry. I highly recommend ESS60. The mighty Aphrodite and I take a tablespoon every morning and we're both pain-free and sleeping better than ever. Discover the benefits of carbon-60. I call it the miracle molecule, ESS60 from C60evo.com. Now, make sure to use the coupon code RS1 S-P-E-C. That's R-S-1-S-P-E-C. Buy today at C60Evo.com. That's C60Evo.com. And don't forget the code R-S-1-S-P-E-C. This product has not been assessed by the FDA and is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Friday. We're reaching out to jolly old England on this episode. Kieran Woodhouse is standing by to discuss some of the equipment and investigative techniques involved in paranormal investigation. He'll also share with us some of his own strange and unexplained experiences. Before that, a reminder that I'll be sitting in for George Norrie Friday night tonight Jan 24th on Coast to Coast AM, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Pacific, or 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. Saturday morning if you're in the Eastern Time Zone. As well, I'll be hosting Coast to Coast again Saturday night, Jan 25th, 
into Sunday morning. Just go to coasttocoastam.com, then in the menu bar, select media, and then local stations, and there you'll find a list of affiliates near you that carries Coast to Coast AM. In his new book, An Introduction to Paranormal Investigation, Karen Woodhouse discusses what equipment is used when investigating paranormal activity. He'll also reveal some interesting investigative techniques like the human pendulum and spirit walkthroughs. He'll also share his theory on what spirits and ghosts might be and some of his own strange experiences. Kieran is an England-based paranormal investigator, a public speaker on the subject, and a co-host of the Paranormal Paradigm podcast. He's also the author of An Introduction to Paranormal Investigation, a book designed to help those looking to start out in the field of investigations. A lifelong interest in anything paranormal has led Kieran down the path of research, where he now frequently presents his evidence, thoughts, and theories to audiences across the UK. Kieran Woodhouse, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm very good, thank you, Richard. Yourself? Wonderful, thank you. Let's good. begin by uh, you telling me about your nan and her, your uh, your after-death communications with her, or I should say your mother's after-death communications. Uh, yeah, so my, my mum's nan... Um, used to haunt the house that we lived in when I was a child and um, regularly we would go out for family gatherings for meals and we'd come home to find that the living room had been reorganized in such a way that my mum's nan would have liked when she was alive so ornaments would have been moved around tv stand would have been moved to a certain angle and I remember from you know five six years old seeing my mum shout into thin air um, telling this invisible entity to to stop doing what they were doing, and that was interesting to a child because I was only ever used to my mum shouting at me. So to <laughs> see her shouting at um, uh, you know this thing I couldn't see was was very very intriguing. She used to regularly bang the child safety gate at the top of the stairs to tell my mum that she'd left it unlocked, so my for my brother and I wouldn't fall down the stairs. Um, I remember the once hearing it bang and asking my mum what what was that. And my mum said, oh, it's just my nan, uh, you know, letting me know. And I remember expecting to see a lady walk through the door, and no one ever did. So it was clear back then that my mum knew what was going on, um, even if I didn't. And how long did that continue? Well, we moved, so um, obviously I, I can't remember my infancy that well. So it was really from about five to about eight, and then we moved to another house. And what's interesting is we didn't know at the time... Um, but the house that we moved to when we had all the family around to come and, you know, like a, a housewarming, my granddad, so my dad's dad now, walked into the house and revealed that it was the very house that he was born in. And we didn't know that. My parents didn't know that when they brought the house. Um, so it was a shock to all of us um, t to find that out. So it was a family home without us really knowing. And what's interesting is we've never, ever had any activity that relates to my mum's nan in this house um or, or the house that they're in now i've moved out now um but we do have activity that seems to relate to my dad's family so it's almost like she didn't want to step on the toes of of, of the other side of the family so <laughs> she she hasn't followed right right in-laws right <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah in-laws outlaws uh so <laughs> you 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 have a um you you come by your your passion for the paranormal quite honestly uh because aside from you know lots of ghost stories uh being passed around you know genuine 
uh, paranormal experiences. And um, you, you document a number of locations. You mentioned the house. Um, talk to me about your father's, uh, he did a stint in the, uh, in the Navy and was involved in the Falklands War. Tell me about uh, his ship. Yeah, so my dad, uh, he obviously served on, on various ships throughout his naval career, eventually ended up on submarines. Um, and he, um, there was one, I'm not sure if it, whether it was during the Falklands, but my dad was what was known as a stoker. So he was down in the engineering room, um, very rarely spent time up on deck. And it was his turn to go down into this ship. And um, she go down a ladder, uh, you know, deep into the, to the heart of the ship. You were in a room, the average size of, a, I guess, like a kitchen or a living room with all these dials. And he was down there checking that the engine oil and the, um, the temperatures and everything were okay. And the hatch opened and down came what my dad thought was the chief stoker. So he came down, big white beard, just how you'd imagine an old naval officer, really. And um, patted my dad on the shoulder, asked him if everything was okay. My dad said, yeah, everything's fine. Uh, shook his hand and climbed back up the stairs and my dad got on with his job uh, when my dad finally came up into the mess room he asked the guys that were there you know who's this chief stoker on tonight i've never seen him before and it was revealed that there wasn't a chief stoker on until they docked um, wherever they were going that's when the chief stoker was joining them and my dad described the guy that he'd seen and they and a couple of them said ah you've seen him then uh, you know, we've seen that guy as well. And my dad then spent another couple of weeks on the ship and never came across him again. And of course, you can imagine living in such a confined space. You're bound to come across someone at some point or another, particularly if they're your manager. Uh, and he never did. Um, the guy was never to be seen again. Uh, I just want to touch on one more location before we delve into some of the investigations that you've done and some of the uh, technology the gear and so forth and that has to do with the pub that, that your family ran uh yeah um so that my, my dad uh he's had a wealth of careers really um and in my late teenage years we we lived in a pub for for three or four years and uh, that was very very active and at, this was the time really where i wasn't that interested in this kind of thing now um you know i'd, I'd got other things on my mind and um I used to have a drum kit down in the cellar, so I'd go down regularly and play the drums. And there was the one day where there were barrels lined up against the opposite wall. I've got my headphones in, drumming away. And the barrels start moving from left to right. And these barrels are stacked on top of each other. So my initial thought was, oh, it's the vibration. You know, the vibration of the drums, they're moving the empty barrels, and they're, they're kind of moving to the vibration. So I finished my song, walked over, and went to pick one barrel off the top of the other, just in case it fell off while I was drumming and was surprised to find that they were actually full barrels of beer um, that they'd stacked on top of each other ready to go into the um, into the tap room. And, uh, I mean, they're heavy. Anyone that's tried to lift a barrel of beer, it would take two of you to lift it. And these things were vibrating across the floor to, to my drums. I mean, there's no way that um, a, a kick drum can, can make that kind of movement from, you know, a full, well, two or three full barrels of beer. It's just impossible. Um, so that was what made me think, you know, that's strange, something here. Um, but the most, um, I guess the most pivotal point in, ter in terms of when we knew it was haunted happened when my dad woke me up at about two o'clock in the morning to say that my mum thought she'd heard someone downstairs breaking in. 
And so I got up uh, completely half asleep, <laughs> got to the top of the stairs. I think my dad had a cricket bat in his hand or something, um, ready to, you know, kind of chase these guys off. And we got to the bottom of the stairs and all we could hear was the, the bar being smashed to, to bits, essentially. I mean, there were glasses being slid across the, the bar. Um, pool balls were being knocked around. The um, tiled the tiled floor, you could hear the stool scraping on them. And uh, I said to my dad, you know, you flick the light switch and I'm going to burst through the door and hopefully it gets rid of them. So we counted down from three and I burst through the door to find that all the stools were on the table, pool balls were in the table and the glasses were all stacked safely on the shelves and there just wasn't a sign of anybody or anything. Remarkable. And how long did that continue till you sold the bar, the pub? Uh, well, the pub is knocked down now. Oh. Uh, I believe there are two houses that are being, being built on top of it. Um, but once we'd found that out, we started, obviously the regulars came in with their stories and they started telling us their folklore. You know, they, they these guys had grown up in the pub, really. And they started telling us, oh, it could be him or it could be her. So we started to kind of do regular um I guess uh, visuals down in the cellar trying to get something and we never really got much when we were trying you know when we were asking for it I mean my brother used to regularly come and sleep in my room because he said there was a man in his room um, and at the time I remember thinking no that's not true but looking back it's very possible that he was seeing something um, because it, it was a very very active very haunted place and I do wonder if the two houses that are built there now have got um, any residual energy or any activity that kind of goes back to the pub. You have a an interesting theory about uh, why some people are able to see ghosts and others aren't, and, and you liken it to something that's very near and dear to my heart, and that's radio. Talk to me about that. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, I guess I got into conspiracies and stuff really before I got into into the paranormal. Uh, and the more and more I got into it, the more and more I, 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 I could... I could could not see um, any difference between it. It was it was just one and the same. And I got into the nature of reality. So there's a guy called David Icke, who I'm sure you're aware of. Oh yes. And he he started to kind of uh, get to me in terms of how we how we perceive the world, why we perceive it the way we do. And um, it was around that time that I was getting into the paranormal. And I remember he started to talk to me about, uh, not talk to me, but, you know, talk to the audience. I've been to see him several times about the um, the visible light and the light spectrum and frequencies. And it, he, he basically said to us, you know, we can see 0.05% of the light spectrum. So what's happening in the 99.95% that we can't see? And that just that hit a chord with me. And I was like, well, that's it, isn't it? You know, this, this, this is where spirits are living. This is where... Um, cryptozoological creatures could be existing or even aliens if they're interdimensional beings and so i really explored this and i really went went down the path of of, of basically just believing that you know these spirits are operating on on different frequencies so when you talk about the radio um it's it's essentially uh we're tuning into a particular frequency so a radio can tune into all the different radio stations so you could listen to let's say radio x um, and while you're listening to that, Radio Y does exist. You're just not tuning into it with your radio station or, for example, your brain. And if you want to listen to Radio Y, you just flick the dial and you cease listening to X. You're now listening to Y, even though X still exists. And it might have happened to, to you. I know it's happened to me several times where in your car, your two radio stations kind of intermingle. There's a bit of an issue with your frequency range. You get two songs crossing over at the same time. 
and then it goes back to normal. And I think that's what's happening when we see spirits so and, and you know, other creatures. So people say, oh, I saw a Bigfoot. He walked behind the tree, but he didn't come out the other side. And I would argue that he did come out the other side. It's just for the briefest of moments, you've tuned into that frequency. And just before he's come out the other side of the tree uh, or the other side of the doorway or whatever the creature is that you're seeing, it's now you've flipped back to your normal frequency range and therefore you can't see it. And maybe mediums or psychics have an ability to tune into two or three radio stations at the same time. Um, and that's why they can tune into all these different frequencies and, and operate on the frequencies that these spirits are um, are operating on and communicate with them, whereas the average person can't. Is there something, is there something different about the way people who, who see ghosts, uh, something about their brain that's wired differently? Because, you know, if we think again of, of the, the radio analogy and the brain then is the receiver, uh, do they have an extra radio tube or some, I don't know, a diode or something that's, that, you know, be, because others go through an entire life without seeing a ghost? I think, I think that, that that question is is three or fourfold, really. I, I, I think there are people who have an ability, like I say, you can get a digital radio, for example, so you can listen to stations that... that, that you can't on a normal station and when that happens um you know you're kind of you're superseding the old the old radios and i think that's what's happening i think that there are humans with an ability to have a digital radio so they can they can tune into more stations i also think it plays into the fact what we eat and what we drink so i i think some chemicals that we put into our body so things like fluoride in the water without getting too um conspiratorial i think all of these things can dumb, dumb us down they can uh, manipulate our perception of reality and can really kind of limit what we can see and what we can hear and I also think that from a very young age, we are told not to believe in this kind of thing. So, you know, you, you see and hear so many stories where children are playing with an invisible friend or they describe their, their granddad who died five years before they were born, but they can describe them perfectly. And what we do as, a, as an adult is most of the time we tell them that's not real, ignore it. And I think what we're doing is we're driving that ability away. So when they do see it, they kind of push it to one side and say, no, I can't look at you. I can't acknowledge you because you're not real. You're, you're only in my imagination. And there's only so many times you can do that before you just stop seeing it. You just block it out. And I think that's what happens because as a, as a society, we're still not ready to accept that there's potentially something existing in this other 99.95% of, of, of the world. And I think children and, and, and animals um, have a huge ability to be able to, to, to tune into these frequencies. So that would mean we're born with the ability. But we almost choose to delete those radio stations and completely tune them out. Uh, one of the things that I enjoyed about your book, An Introduction to Paranormal Investigation, is uh, the chapters, the way they're laid out. You, you don't just delve into the the gadgetry. You know, you do talk about K2 meters, you talk about laser grid pens and EVP recorders, and we'll get into those. But you also um, talk about how during an investigation, the human body uh, can be used as a, as a way of detecting the presence of, of the paranormal. And I wanted to talk about and start with uh, the human pendulum and uh, your experiences with uh, with this phenomena. Uh, yeah, so the for, for any of, of your listeners that don't know what a human pendulum is, it, it's essentially we're, we're using the same 
um, method as you would if you were holding a pendulum and you ask for a spirit to to make it swing in order to give you an answer um, but in this sense we're using the human body and we get a volunteer uh, sometimes willing sometimes not so willing and we get them to kind of stand with their feet shoulder width apart nice and relaxed resting their chin on their shoulder on their chest and at two o'clock in the morning some people can get a little bit too relaxed and we've even had people snoring um while stood up which which is amazing to be honest um and we then kind of circle them just for health and safety to make sure that they're okay and we begin to ask a spirit to communicate with us so give us a yes answer or give us a no answer and they tend to swing one way or the other for yes and no once we've validated that we can begin to ask questions you know are you male are you female and we can begin to go down the route of finding out who or what it is we're talking to i did this when i was uh, a guest so early in my uh, paranormal career i guess you'd say and um we're in a place called draco tunnels and I, I stood there, I was very relaxed. Um, I couldn't really hear the questions. I didn't feel like I was moving. I felt like I was just stood still. In fact, I was trying hard to make sure I was stood still. Um, but apparently I was moving uh, really, really crazy. Uh, I, I say in the book that someone told me I was like the Michael Jackson lean. I mean, I'm six foot one, 20 stone or whatever. And uh, it would be impossible for me to do that lean without falling flat on my face. But according to the guys that were there, this is exactly what I was doing. And eventually I had this smack on the top of my head and it flew me backwards. Luckily there was a guy behind who caught me from hitting the floor. And for the next minute or so, I just felt like there was this voice-like grip on my head and I could, just couldn't shake it off. So they took me to the room next door. I couldn't remember my name. I couldn't remember what day of the week it was. And for five minutes, uh, they kept working on me, trying to you know, kind of bring me round. And eventually I did. Eventually I came, I came round. But interestingly... The group that we left carried on recording and they carried on recording with an EVP. And while I was in the other room calming down, we heard a growl and we correlated that growl to a recording on the EVP where we had a voice saying hello. And that just kind of pushed me even more down this theory of, of frequencies and what we can see and hear, because it would mean that we heard a growl, but the EVP recorder that can record um, to different frequency levels than the human ear can pick up. Um, picked up hello and I just found that absolutely fascinating I mean that kind of blew me away more than the experience that I'd had with with the human pendulum but the the, the human pendulum is interesting but it does uh, lend itself a lot to the subconscious right right um, you actually I thought had a, an interesting idea to to maybe filter out that possibility and that is to have the volunteer same with the spirit walkthrough which we'll talk about in a moment have the volunteers wear headphones so they can't hear the actual uh, voice commands of the uh, of the, uh, the the crew member um, have you tried that we have we have and it's been mixed results actually I mean, um, so we did it in a location that we've done regularly, uh, and this was a pub. So it wasn't the pub that I used to live in. It's a, it's a pub that's local to where I live now. And so we've done that half a dozen times now. So we know the kind of answers that we get. We know the spirits that are there and what they tend to say. And we had a group of people that hadn't been with us before, so we knew that they wouldn't subconsciously know the answers to, to the questions we were going to ask. So we put headphones on the one person who volunteered. Uh, we were just playing some really loud music so they couldn't hear anything. And we began to ask questions. And they answered the questions in every way that we'd had previously answered. Um, by somebody who wasn't wearing headphones 
and it kind of ticked all the boxes. So we followed that up with the Spirit Walk crew. So we had several people now. I think we had three people lined up, all with headphones, and um, that wasn't so good. That that kind of fell a bit flat, to be honest. So it was mixed reviews. It was a bit weird how it how it works, but um, but yeah, it's something I'll definitely keep pushing on with. Um, you mentioned uh, Drake Low Tunnel, and th- that location comes up uh, a few times in the book. It's obviously a very active location. Tell me a little bit more about it. What is the Drake Low Tunnel? So Drake Low Tunnels is a nuclear bunker. So it was, it was built years and years ago, and you're about 400 feet underground at the deepest point. There's about five miles worth of tunnels overall. And when you go down there, I mean, it's pitch black. So when the lights are off, there's only electricity to, to, to some of it. Um, and you just can't see the hand in front of your face. It's so, so dark. And the tunnels, they're so big, you can get two Arctic lorries down side by side at some some points. They're, they're just huge. And it's worth going down just for the architectural side of things. You know, even if you're not going on a ghost hunt, it's just impressive to, to, to go and see the the location itself and they've still got the beds down there the kitchen area where all the workers would go and eat and drink and the beds that were laid out ready for if ever there was a nuclear attack um it's an absolutely fascinating place it's very very active unfortunately the um a lot of groups now go down there a lot of famous groups a lot of famous tv shows and it's made the guy who runs it very very greedy and he's more than doubled his price now and uh, so we don't get to go down there as often as, as we used to. Uh, so you, you also mentioned the uh, the spirit walkthroughs. How does that dif- differ from the human pendulum? So the spirit walkthrough is it's something where I talk about the subconscious. Um, when I was writing the book and preparing my presentations for, for the groups that I talked to, I, I really surprised myself at how skeptical I was. For a, you know, because because I've had experiences, I've had experiences that I can't explain, and I really, really surprised myself that you know, I was coming across as someone who really didn't believe, and uh, I kept picking holes in all the experiments that we did. So as an investigator and a researcher, one thing you do is you keep trying to make them more and more um, foolproof. So you can't pick holes in them. And the pendulum relies on one person answering the questions. And if they even subconsciously, so they don't mean to, um, if they're becoming um, kind of affected by the ideometer effect, which is the the subconscious movements um, without even knowing it, if they're doing that, then it becomes uh, null and void. If you have three or four people involved, now you're relying on a collective subconscious. And if you can get all of them to answer the questions the same way, the chances of having all four sway the one way or all four sway the other way is actually really, really slim. And having done this hundreds of times now, it's maybe once, maybe twice we've had it where they've all answered the same question by going the same way. And so what it does is it it limits the possibility that there's subconscious at play and it heightens the probability that there's potentially a spirit involved. Um, But like I say, it it never really works out like that. Um, But it's always interesting to look at it from a psychological point of view anyway. Well, you had an interesting result uh, using the spirit walkthrough at the Smithwick uh, swimming uh, baths. Tell me about that. Yeah, so uh, yeah, so the Swevik Swimming Baths was a, a fascinating place because when we turned up, it was just you know children were still leaving with their parents coming out, you know, with their, their swimming bags and stuff. And I remember thinking to myself, this just doesn't feel like a haunted location at all. Um, but it was one of the most active places I've ever been to, 
and we did a, a spirit walkthrough. I think there was five or six of us participating. Uh, we were all sat down the sides watching on. And this lady um, began kind of moving really violently, more violently than the others. And when that happens, you begin to keep an eye on them because as someone who is running the, the night, you have a, I guess you have a, a duty of care to these people. And we had to make sure that she was okay. So we didn't do anything to start with. We just kept an eye. And then eventually she just started sobbing and that sobbing turned into full on crying, wailing. Um, and we, she was unconsolable. We couldn't do anything with her. So uh, we asked her what her name was and she didn't know. She couldn't tell us, tell us her name. We asked her who she'd come with and she'd come with her two daughters and they were with us trying to calm her down. And she told us that she'd come with her husband. So we asked, how did you get here? And she said, by horse. Of course, she'd come in a car and um, she believed she was living in the 1800s. She was convinced of it and we just could not control her. We don't know why she was crying. She wouldn't answer us and we had to remove her from the situation. We had to take her outside and it took about 15 minutes or so for the group to really, really calm her down and, and, and get her kind of back into a state of mind where she felt like she could carry on. But yeah, that was very, very, very interesting. <laughs> More of my conversation with Kieran Woodhouse when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. She's our full script dispensary manager and a nutritional therapist. Welcome back, Colleen Forgus. How are you? Great, Richard. So many people are having sleep issues. It's an epidemic, a national epidemic. What do we have at the Full Script Dispensary for people who have trouble getting to sleep? The product I want to recommend today is called Insomnitol. It's by Designs for Health, and it includes GABA, which is something that we have discussed on previous conversations, also valerian root, passionflower, chamomile, melatonin. So these products are all designed to help calm the body and ensure a good night's sleep. Terrific. Insomnitol. To order, all you need to do is go to strangeplanet.ca, then click on the full script dispensary button. Once there, just register. And remember, all orders receive 10% off and orders of $50 or more ship for free. These products have not been evaluated by the FDA and are not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider. one thing money can't buy it's sanity <laughs> conspiracy unlimited with richard serrett karen woodhouse is here his new book is an introduction to paranormal investigation when you put yourself into these situations i would imagine there's a degree of vulnerability you're making yourself vulnerable is there a risk you might take something or someone home um, there's always that risk. Um, I've never done it that I'm aware of, and I've not known of anybody that has. I do think a lot of that is is really hyped up by the media, by Hollywood, you know, by, by, by things like that. But what we tend to do is just um, a generic protection spell. So we, we, we get everybody around. Um, and, and what this does is it protects us, but it also just puts people at ease. So if you've got somebody come in who's never been on one before and you can tell that they're a bit nervous or a bit scared, we what this does is even if it doesn't do anything physically, psychologically, it does, you know, it works wonders and it, it can calm them down. So we just we tell them to kind of uh, imagine that there's a light around them and it's covering their skin and they can move the light out 
and they can move it back in. And if they feel that something's getting too close or they're getting too affected or they're getting too scared, they can push this light outwards and it will push the spirit away from them. And if they would like to communicate a little bit more, then they can bring that light in and it brings the spirit back in with them. And then at the end of the night, we tell them to shake off the light as if they were casting off a cloak and that discards anything that's attached to them. So when they go home, um, they're, they're, they're free of spirits. Uh, let's talk about some of the gadgets and we're all familiar with uh, the ghost hunting shows and they love their gadgets they make great tv let's face it you know <laughs> yeah. flashing lights and things that go ping and all of this uh, but the k2 meter that's really prevalent uh the emf emf meter many of us know it by uh, talk about the risk of false positives with the emf meter and then talk about some of your more interesting experiences using uh, the emf or k2 meter yeah, so the, I mean, the K2 meter, yeah, as you say, everybody uses it. If you've only got to turn most haunted on or ghost hunters, and it's the first thing that they tend to get out of their box. Um, and um, it's it's okay. I mean, the problem is it was originally used to, to measure leaky microwaves or, you know, uh, faulty electric boxes and stuff like that. And that's what they're used for and that's what they're good at. Um, but in terms of ghost hunting, there's never been any proof that when they go off that that, that signifies that there's a ghost near. Um, and we we do use it and we use it well, but you have to use it with caution. So we tend to kind of do a a quick sweep of a location, make sure there's no hot spots. And what I mean by that is, is there a fuse box in a particular room? Is there any exposed wiring in a particular location? And if there is, and the K2 begins to go crazy, then you need to be aware of that because at two o'clock in the morning when the lights are off, you need to know that if that's going crazy, you need to know that you're in that room where the exposed wires were. That's very, very important because a lot of people don't tend to do this and it will go down as false evidence. Um, so the best thing I've ever seen really with a K2 meter happened at the ancient Ram Inn. And this is a very famous location. It's been on all the TV shows. And we were there and we were in, I guess, what would have been the old living quarter and we'd formed a semicircle around the big open fireplace and there were no electrics in this room so i'd done my sweep earlier it's a really old place and there were no there were just there was just no electric at all we'd all got our phones on flight mode so you know uh, that wasn't interfering with it and uh we got a k2 in the middle of our circle and we got a k2 on a spare chair that was part of the circle and we began asking questions and we noticed that this light was flickering. It was going from green to, to orange to red. And then it began to answer on command. And that's always interesting because if there's something affecting it, you know, that we can't control, so faulty wiring or a mobile phone, it will just be really random. But when it begins to answer questions on command, can you take it to orange? It goes to orange. Can you take it to red? It goes to red. It becomes more interesting. And then what we noticed was it, it stopped. And we thought, oh, you know, that's that then. But then we realised that the one on the chair was doing it. And we asked, well, can you, can you come away from that one? Can you come to the one in the middle? And it came to the one in the middle. And um, it kept going backwards and forwards. And people that were there likened it to a, a child spirit that was playing, playing games, running backwards and forwards. Um, but it was very, very interesting because, as I say, there was no electric. There was no interference from mobile phones and things like that. So um, I'm not... I can't really explain that one. Um, I did get that on video, actually, and it's something that I tend to show at, at, my, uh, at my presentations. Uh, but but there's been interesting studies as well, as you document in, in the book, An Introduction to Paranormal Investigation, how uh, faulty wiring can actually 
uh, present itself as some sort of paranormal activity. Absolutely. So uh, EMF has a huge, huge effect on the human body. And again, without getting too conspiratorial, it's bombarding us on a daily basis. We have 3G, 4G, 5G now, uh, Wi-Fi, all of these signals that are bombarding us on a daily basis. And, and it's just not good for the, for the human uh, body, the human mind. Um, and what can happen with too much EMF exposure is it can suppress the pineal gland or the third eye. And that's responsible for releasing melatonin into your bloodstream. And it's the level of melatonin in your blood, bloodstream that um, regulates how tired and how awake you feel. So at night, when the light begins to go down and it starts to get dark, uh, melatonin begins to get released into your bloodstream, you begin to get tired. And then in the morning, as the sun comes up, uh, the pineal gland gets suppressed naturally by sunlight and therefore you lose all the melatonin levels and you wake up. What EMF does uh, in these studies that have been carried out is it suppresses the pineal gland the same way as sunlight would. So it prevents the melatonin coming out into your bloodstream. So when you're lying in bed and you're sleep deprived because you're sitting on your phone for four hours before you go to sleep and your wife's next to you on her iPad and you've got your phone charging next to you and you're being bombarded by all this kind of stuff that's going on, um, it has a huge, huge part to play with EMF. And then that can lead to, uh, like I say, sleep deprivation. It can lead, lead to hallucination, migraines, sleep paralysis, all of the things that can be associated and have been associated uh, probably wrongly with paranormal activity. Uh, the uh, the REM pod or REM pod, which is kind of the opposite of the EMF meter. Talk to me about that. Yeah, so the, the, the radiating electromagnetism pod, so you can see why we call it a REM pod for short. Um, it's basically, the, where it differs to the K2 is the K2 picks up on uh, interference with the surrounding EMF, whereas the REM pod produces its own EMF, and that's why I love it so much more, because it I liken it to the, the theremin, because that's basically what it is, you know, the old Victorian instrument where you could move your hand close to it and it would make a noise without actually touching it. And that's what it is. These things have an aerial, it produces a... a an electromagnetic field and so should something disturb that field and come near the aerial it begins to make a noise or it begins to light up it depends what model you've got and i love it so much more because when it's producing its own field that it can be trusted a little bit more it can still be faulty faulty batteries faulty unit but with a k2 a mobile phone can affect it you know like we said faulty wiring all these things can affect it whereas when it's producing its own uh, emf it it can only really be affected by anything outside that's coming towards it. So if you're lucky enough to own several of these, and we know groups that, that do, they've, they've tended to line them up up a room where there's um, regular occurrence of footsteps. And they've even had the REM pods go off and make a noise one by one as if something is walking past them up the room. And it's such a fascinating piece of equipment. It's almost like the k2 and it's leveled up <laughs> so I, I talk quite regularly about you know we need to evolve the, the the things that we use we need to evolve the way that we investigate and this this is this has almost done that it's 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 like a i guess a pokemon you know where it's leveled up from one to the other and the k2 has grown and evolved and it's become the rem pod um and i'm sure we can take that even further eventually um but yeah i i love the uh, i love the rem pod and we've had some really really good results with that uh where are we in in uh, the development of EVP recorders how sophisticated are they now um they're getting more and more I mean there's only so much you can record really you know um, there's only so 
much of a range that they, they can pick up. Uh, where they're developing is in terms of the, the gadgetry. So previously, if you were recording on an EVP recorder, um, you know, you might be recording for four hours and you have to try and remember when you heard that footstep or when you may have heard that breath. And that became quite tricky because you had to listen to four hours worth of, of recording. Whereas now you can buy them um, where you have to press a button. And so if you hear something, you press a button and it bookmarks it on the audio. So when you upload it to your computer, it flags up that that was a bookmark. So you know where to go when you heard a particular noise. Um, and that, that that's really good. It's really helpful. Obviously, you have to pay a bit more money for these, for these pieces of equipment. But uh, it's developing in the right way. Uh, and I'd be interested to see where they can take it in terms of the, the the range that they can pick up because like i say so many times um i've recently uh, opened a case study with a house in essex they're on on the verge of calling in a priest at the moment because it's really really active they're just down the road from enfield i'm not sure if you've ever heard of yes the oh enfield yes haunting. oh yes and yeah and I, I genuinely feel like we're on the verge of having another Enfield haunting. It's getting really, really bad. Um, and I've been lucky enough that the homeowners have entrusted me to, to carry out this case study. And um, so, so we were there and we heard footsteps, doors banging, scratching on the walls. And I didn't pick up a single thing on the EVP recorder. We had three EVP recorders, a motion sensor camera, uh, a video camera that we were using at the time, and we didn't get anything on any of them. And you have to question, is it to do with the frequency range? You know, is it possible that they can manipulate it so it, it will not be picked up by these recording devices? Um, because we, you know, there were five or six of us there, and we all heard what we heard. We know what we heard. We validated it with each other. Um, but we just could not find anything on the recording. Uh, how much success uh, have you had with thermal cameras? Thermal cameras are, are really good. Uh, again, they're, they're, they're a bit on the expensive side, but for a really good one, it can really um, evolve your investigating techniques. So um, we've had some good stuff with this. I mean, the, the best I can think of was we were in a location and we had um, uh, there were lots of chairs. I think we were in a social club. And we sat a guy down in the chair and we were filming with this, this thermal imaging camera and we noticed that the chair next to him was showing as red. And it was showing as red because on a thermal imaging camera that shows heat. And it was so basically it was showing that someone was either sitting or had recently sat in that chair. Now we know that nobody had. Um, so for a second we asked the guy to stand up and we filmed both chairs and they were both showing us the same colour. The one obviously because the heat from the guy had transferred to the chair. The other one we weren't so sure of because we'd, we'd seen no one in it. So um, we kind of left left that area. Uh, we came back about 20, 30 minutes later or whatever, and we realised that the, the chair where the guy was sat before was now no longer showing as red because it had cooled down. The heat had um, kind of disappeared. And the chair next to it was still showing as red. Well, look, this is, you know, And we were touching it. It didn't feel warm. It didn't feel any different. So again, we left. We came back. And when we came back for the, the, the second time, both chairs were showing us cooled down. Uh, they were like a greeny colour on, on the camera. Um, so whatever was sat in that chair had, had, had left finally and allowed the, the chair to cool down. But, I mean, that was fascinating. So we were essentially looking at something sat in a chair. Uh, we couldn't see it. We couldn't really sense it. But the thermal imaging camera 
can pick it up and this is what i talk about when i talk about the the frequencies that we can and we cannot see so we can't see into the infrared spectrum um animals can so when you see your dog or your cat staring into the corner of your living room uh, and you can't see what they're staring at it's very probable that they're just seeing something that is, isn't in our frequency range and that's what was happening there so the camera allows you to kind of come out of your frequency range and see things you wouldn't normally see um Maybe we can uh, we can close things out here with um, another personal paranormal encounter. Tell me about the cottage. Uh, the cottage, the cottage, the cottage. Go on, ring, remind me. I've got so many. Well, it's uh, it's sort of the uh, the way you you uh, close the um, close the book. Oh yes, my, my friend's cottage. Of, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, so this is I, I've got a friend. Uh, he won't mind me naming him Gareth. And he he moved into into a cottage with his with his partner, and um, I mean I didn't know this place existed. It's only up the road from me, but it's down a tiny little street, and there's a cluster of you know three or four houses, and it's a really quaint little area. And the house that he'd moved into, or the cottage he'd moved into, used to be a jail. So, um, in fact, he still had the original bars in his house from the original cell. And they were using it as a under the stairs cupboard or something like that. And um, so it was it was a place that was full of history. And he hadn't been there too long when he'd been washing up uh, in the kitchen. And he saw a he he describes it as a shadow, but he also describes it as it was clearly a figure. It was a human figure. And it passed from left to right past the window, just like it was walking walking past. And he kind of like, you know, took a step back like, whoa, what was that? Looks out the window, kind of goes out into the garden, can't see anything. So the next day he brings it up with his neighbours and asks, you know, has anything ever happened around here? And they said, oh, yeah, this happens all the time. It, it, you know, it happens quite quite regularly. About, not, well, not long after, uh, his partner was upstairs and she was just getting ready for bed. She was closing the curtains in the bedroom. And as she looks out into the street, there was a guy stood under, um, under it's, it's classic horror movie, you know, there's a guy stood, un, stood under a street light, basically, um, staring at the house. And this really creeped her out because, you know, she thought it was a potential burglar or stalker or something. Um, so she goes to get Gareth and, and, and to see what it is. And when they go back, it had gone. So they, they were on edge, really, for the rest of the night, not knowing who this man was or where he'd gone. So they decided to bring it up again with the neighbours. Did you see anything suspicious last night? Did you see anyone wandering around? And they all confirmed. And some of these guys have lived there for decades. You know, they're in the 60s and the 70s. And they'd confirmed that they'd seen it when they first moved in back in the 60s and the 70s. They'd seen a guy standing under the street lamp staring at their house. And they've all kind of collectively come together, done a bit of research. And they all believe that who this guy is, who was walking around the back of the house, who they see standing in the street staring at them, is the old um, policeman. So he still patrols the area. He still patrols the area to make sure that everybody's safe, to keep an eye on everybody. Um, and that's probably particularly why he hangs around Gareth's house, because that was where he was based. That would have been the old, the old police station. Um, they've since moved out, actually. Um, but, yeah, they had a, a ton of activity there. A very interesting place. Ah, fascinating. Uh, how do people get a copy of An Introduction to Paranormal Investigation? Uh, they can get a copy on Amazon, so they can buy the ebook, or they can buy um, a physical copy from there. Uh, I think it's on ebook on other places, Barnes and Noble, places like that. They can contact me directly, so you can contact me via kieran.woodhouse at gmail.com. 
Uh, I also host a podcast called the Paranormal Paradigm Podcast. You can contact me through there. I'd be happy to send one out to you um, if you'd like me to send it out that way. Kieran, it was great meeting you. Thank you so much for spending some time. Thank you for having me on. It's been great. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back with a few words on an upcoming episode. If you want to support my work here at Strange Planet, please consider becoming an official donor. It's easy. Just go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet. There are several donation tiers to choose from, from a dollar per month to $50 a month. New donors at the $10, $20, and $50 per month tier receive a free mug from my Strange Planet shop. Donors in the $20 tier also have their names appear on a crawl during the YouTube live stream of my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show. And donors in the $50 tier receive a special on-air thank you on my radio program. Whatever you give, your support helps keep my radio program and this podcast going. Help me pursue the truth wherever it leads. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Thank you and God bless. Coming up next on Conspiracy Unlimited, Zero Point Energy, Anti-Gravity Technology, and UFO Propulsion. Uh, my view is that there's an ether, that space is not empty and it's not particles popping in and out of existence. It's ether, which is a substance below the level of particles. Let's say at times in places where there's no matter at all, the ether still would have waves. Uh, there would be little fluctuations. There would be, most of them so small, they wouldn't even stand up to the point of being called a particle. But now and then, you would have one very large that would be big enough to nucleate uh, the formation of a subatomic particle. And that would be a violation of energy conservation. And that's why physicists wouldn't like what I'm saying. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. 